Articulating paper marks are lying to you. Now, just think about it for a second, right? When you stick some articulating paper in and you get the patient to bite together, you often get false positives. So you get these red or blue marks in areas where the teeth aren't actually touching. And you also get false negatives, areas of teeth which are actually touching uh, and you don't see a mark. And I'll tell you in my protrusive pearl later on how to overcome that when it comes to a ceramic, glazed ceramic, sometimes doesn't pick up the articulator paper ink. And therefore I'll share with you a little tip on how to make it appear. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. I just want to just elaborate on this point a little bit. When we see articulating paper marks, we see small dots, we see big dots, we kind of have different beliefs. If you ask different dentists, some will say, oh, it's the bigger marks, that means that there's more force. Whereas other people think, no, no, it's the smaller marks because uh, pressure is force over area. Therefore, a smaller mark often means higher pressure. The reality of it is, is that this has been studied and we cannot tell by looking at articulating paper marks which ones are higher force or low force. And we definitely cannot tell which teeth are hitting first before they eventually more or less come together. We don't know anything about the timing of those contacts, which is what this episode is all about. Hello, Patrice Ferranti, I'm Jazz Galanti. Now let me elaborate on that a little bit more still. When we're dealing with single tooth dentistry, this really isn't so important because you're just working on one tooth and how important is that one tooth like to be in the grand scheme of the entire occlusion of the patient? In most patients, you can get away with a lot. You know, our patients are great at adapting. But when you have uh, an arch of temporaries or multiple units, let's say five or six units, and you want to be able to uh, make sure the, the patient's uh, occlusion is comfortable and, and that no one restoration uh, is taking too much load, we're relying on this articulating paper ink but you don't know where to adjust and eventually what could happen is that you end up just adjusting away all the blue dots until you don't have any contact anymore so this is why i think there's a huge benefit of something called a tech scan or a t-scan uh, and i was uh, well i had huge reservations about this and when i met uh, dr robert kirstein who's the guest on today uh, he's from the usa he's done so much research he is the go-to guy when it comes to anything to do with the tech scan we shared a very intimate study club together it was three delegates and dr rob kirstein for a whole day we were talking and geeking out about occlusion so you can tell I was absolutely in my elements and you know what I was I was heckling Dr. Rob Kirstein a lot we'll talk about that a bit uh, I was disagreeing with him I was arguing with him uh, in good nature we were debating okay and I think it's important to debate you know you shouldn't take everything that you hear at face value you should argue and debate and so we did that and I had a great time uh, and I went away thinking that okay to be able to measure the force and time has some value in many situations. When it comes to bigger cases, it is for me now that I have a T-scan and the reason why this episode is coming out so late since I recorded it is because I was waiting for my T-scan to be delivered and now I've used it on some patients and I am really loving it. So we'll talk all about that journey. In fact, I'm going to do a whole occlusal adjustment episode just to elaborate on my experiences as a, as a beginner using the T-scan and what cool and fascinating anatomical things I found by using it but I don't want to distract from the meat of the episode today, which is with Rob Kirstein, all about how articulating paper marks align to us and the role of being able to measure the force and time and the benefit that gives to us and our patients. 
Before I met Dr. Rob Kirstein in, in Brighton, I had heard of the tech scan, but I'd never actually seen it in the flesh. Uh, and I got to see it, and if you haven't seen it before, it's like articulating paper, it's like a horseshoe shape, but it's completely digital. It looks like you know, a little paper version of a circuit board. Uh, and what the, the amazing benefit of it is that when you put it in the patient's mouth, you get the bite together, it transmits all this data to the computer, and you can see which tooth hits first, what is the sequence of the tooth contacts and which teeth are hitting early and which teeth are hitting late, how much force is being distributed across the arch. Now, think of it already, like with implants, right? For example, when we're uh, working with traditional articulating paper, we're trying to make sure that we can get some degree of clearance on single implants, right? We don't want our implants to hold shimstock foil. We want a little bit of clearance. Now ask different dentists, they'll tell you different microns of amount, but now you can actually quantify that and verify that digitally using something like a T-scan. So, so many numerous benefits and we'll talk all about them. But, but the thing that took me by surprise is that there's actually so much evidence when it comes to CT scan, like we know that in the field of occlusion in general, the long-term studies, follow-ups, conclusions are poor quality overall. But then Dr. Rob Kirstein opened my eyes to all this evidence base. He shared this Google Drive folder with me with so many PDFs looking at the different uh, trials and studies that have happened uh, with the different evolutions of T-scan. And some of it was just really eye-opening. So if you want to geek out with that, um, he's given permission for me to share these PDFs with you all. All you have to do is go to protrusive.co.uk for slash evidence, that's protrusive.co.uk forward slash evidence, and I'll give you access to every one of these PDFs. So if you want to just geek out or, or learn further or critique the evidence, we should always critique the evidence when it's available, uh, check that out. My experiences so far with the T-Scan have been uh, pretty cool, and I can't wait to share that with you in the extra episode, like I said, but I take great comfort in knowing that great dentists like Dr. Bobby Supple from the US and Dr. Riaz Yar, UK's very own Dr. Professor Riaz Yar, is also using it. In fact, he's sharing uh, on his Instagram story pretty much every day, uh, different T-scan cases. It's just great to know that I'm in good company when it comes to that. Actually acquiring a T-scan was um, a, a, a tough thing to do as an associate, right? Uh, I'm not the owner of the clinic, I'm just an associate. Therefore, it was something that I had to have a real in-depth conversation with my principals because ultimately I was going to be the only one that's going to be using it. So I felt bad uh, that my principals were going to have to um, pull out their credit card and buy something that's just for me. So I sort of struck a deal with my principals. Uh, I said, as an associate, I'll, I'll pay for it, but let's work out a little business deal. So if you wanna hear about my business deal, I'll talk about that in the outro. I don't wanna distract from the main episode any further. So if you listen to the outro, I'll tell you about the conversations I had with my principals and how um, the T-Scan has some degree of a, an ROI, it has a return on investment. Now in episode four, all the way back when in episode four, I did discuss with uh, Dr. Neil Jaiswal about microscopes and how my Microscope is something that you buy because you want to improve your dentistry. It doesn't really have an ROI. Like you can't charge uh, X amount for your root canal treatment and then you can't charge an extra subsidy for the microscope. It just doesn't work. But with the T-Scan, I'm able to actually do that. Uh, and patients do realize a wow factor when it comes to this. So I'll talk about the, how the business arrangement works if you listen in the outro. The protrusive dental pearl I have is about articulating paper. Now you're thinking, Jazz, you're talking about the T-Scan, which is supposed to replace your articulating paper because it's like the new age thing and now you're going to give us a tip about articulating paper. How does that work? Well, actually, when you use the T-scan, you interpret the data, but you still need the ink from the articulating paper because that's all the articulating paper does. It transfers uh, ink 
from the, the contacts. It doesn't tell you the true contacts always, uh, and it doesn't tell you about force and time. So, but you want to know about the ink points. So when you're interpreting that T scan data, you're marrying it up with the articulating paper marks. So they're still important, and there's still a role of the articulating paper ink. Now, sometimes you might realize that no matter how much you get the patient to occlude together, the ink is not rubbing off on the teeth. And quite classically, a glazed ceramic will be difficult to actually have the articulating paper mark show up. So the little hack for you is to get a tiny smear of Vaseline. Please, please, please put a sparing amount of Vaseline, uh, like on a microbrush, for example, and then you paint that microbrush on the articulating paper. Now, obviously, uh, articulating papers are all different. This works on AccuFilm, which is the one I use, uh, and then you paint both sides of it, and you get the patient to bite together, and there we are. Before, you could not see the ink mark, and now you will be able to, because the Vaseline has an effect on the articulating paper, which allows it to, to stain or ink the teeth more effectively. So that this really works and it helps you in those scenarios where you just want to see where exactly the contact is on your ceramic restoration. So I hope you enjoyed this main podcast. You know, open your mind, guys. Open your mind. I know we've been taught a, a specific way. And like I said, I was the biggest heckler Rob Kirstein ever had. But I think there's a, a beauty in listening to different people's opinions. And let's give our you know warm, protrusive welcome to Dr. Rob, Dr. Rob Kirstein and listen to what he has to say, because uh, I definitely have found so much value from it. And I hope you will, too. I'll see you in the outro where we'll talk about my business deal with my principles. Robert Kirstein, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Uh, obviously, it was great to see you at the Tubals Congress. I was one of the guys at your your lectures, and I when I emailed you, I said, "Hey, I was the annoying guy who kept answer, asking silly questions and stuff." And uh, we were having, you know, it was good fun. It was it was wasn't many of us, but that made for a very intimate discussion. And I got to have a lot of one to one with you, and we exchanged philosophies and debates. And I, and I felt as though with occlusion, it was really good and important that we kept it um, still with mutual respect because we see all the time yeah. different occlusion camps, right? They're at each other throats but my mindset is very much like okay i want to hear your perspective now i might not agree with everything you had to say rob and and definitely you wouldn't agree with some of the things that i believe but i think what this podcast is about what protrusive is about is bringing these different um occlusal philosophies together and just sharing with one another um so that's why i'm so gr grateful for you to to join me today you obviously had your uk tour um now for those of you who don't know who you are uh, rob please tell us a little, little bit about yourself where you practice obviously you're a prosthodontist uh, how you got involved with the objective measurement of occlusion and how that's evolved over time. Well, first, thank you for having me uh, on the Protrusive podcast, and I'm um, honored to be here. I, um, I'm a prosthodontist, as you said, and I began my training at Tufts in 1984 when I graduated dental school. I was a dental student and went on to prosthodontics. And in my program was built the first T-Scan, T-Scan 1. Uh, we're now on T-Scan 10. And I began using it without really any knowledge other than, you know, it was something that you could measure time and force. And although it had a manual, it wasn't really understood how you would use its data. And uh, what, for example, how would you make a better denture with it? How would you deliver a crown and bridge case with it? You know, how could you diagnose someone's occlusion with it? But it had some very interesting features, mostly the timing aspect. You could measure timing and you could measure force levels. And uh, when you use that information to make intelligent choices about what to adjust or to treat, patients responded much faster than when it wasn't used. And as a prosthodontic resident, I was delivering 
different size temporaries. I was delivering different Crown and Bridge cases. We were at the beginning of implants, so that wasn't really um, part of my program other than the introduction to implant dentistry. 1983 was when Brandenmark wrote his important paper about how to do osseointegration. So I was 1984, and um, the T-scan was built then, and it was transferred to 16 dental um, institutions in the United States, all prominent prosthodontic programs. And I was the only person who really took to it in a sort of a studying it scientific way. And I saw things with it that you couldn't see without it. And certainly you couldn't see with traditional occlusal indicators like carbon paper, for example, or silicone imprints or mounted models because it was dynamic. You had this time element. So I began studying it with my professor uh, who built it. My, my professor, Bill Manis, William Manis, he built the program T-Scan 1 with five engineers from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I was the first real researcher with it, um, which was uh, led to me becoming more and more involved with it over time. And I've been part of every iteration in some way from T-Scan 1 all the way up to today's version of T-Scan 10. And I should say in full disclosure, I am a consultant for the TechScan Corporation, uh, but I do not receive compensation for sales of any TechScan product. I'm strictly education, research, and training. And, um, and I've been an advocate, of course, because I've seen how powerful it is compared to what traditional occlusion offers. And the T-Scan has found solutions for many problems that dentists face routinely that traditional occlusion has not found answers for. So that's really how I got into it. Now, 38 years later, I've published hundreds of articles about it, most of it research and hard science, some commentary, but most of it is hard science and research on timing and excursive function and how that influences the neurophysiology of the human um, stomatonathic system. Um, I've been fortunate enough to collaborate with many um, experts around the world to publish five volumes on digital measured occlusion. That really is an incredible compilation of all that we've discovered with um, using uh, digital occlusion uh, compared to using traditional occlusion. And it's a major advance for the patient to have digital occlusion um, be performed on them. So, you know, I, my whole role, my whole life has really been tied up in the T-scan, although I didn't start out that way. I started out, I was going to be a prosthodontist who crowned lots of teeth and made beautiful smiles. And, and, and I did that, but I used the T-scan to help me do that. And that was a huge advantage um, through my years of clinical practice. And now I, I uh, don't practice anymore other than to do live demonstrations and to treat patients in seminars. Um, but I collaborate with many researchers throughout the world and continue to publish um, lecture and train dentists on how to properly use the technology. Well, uh, I think the, the best place to start would be some people who are listening who may not have heard uh, about the TechScan or T-Scan, uh, and uh, maybe if we can just roll it back a little bit, you know, what is the alternative that we've been trained to use at dental school and we use all the time? And I think you made a great point of the, the fallacies or the fallbacks or the, the problems with using articulating foil or articulating paper. So uh, if you just explain to dentists, what is the traditional way and what are the disadvantages of relying on articulating paper marks in terms of the quote unquote the way to measure the occlusion and what does uh, the T-scan offer um, above and beyond uh, these paper marks? Well, it's a very good question. First, the traditional method um, is very important because it, it marks the teeth if you're going to specifically talk about articulating paper. But that's its true use. It's not really 
designed to measure the occlusion. And although dentistry has given it those attributes by sort of describing size as a way to choose force or um, color depth or um, distribution, lots of marks that look like they're everywhere means you have a balanced bite. And actually research shows none of that is actually true. For example, large paper marks are only forceful 14 to 21% of the time. So if someone always picks the largest mark as the highest force, they're going to be incorrect 86% of the time. And studies actually bear that information out. So the research on both articulating paper as a um, medium to detect force actually is very, very um, uh, strong in that it can't be done at all. Right. And if you asked an engineer, it's very simple, actually, if you asked an engineer, can you measure bite force with carbon paper and ink marks? And they would say, no, it doesn't measure anything. It's just ink. Because of a lack of measurement tools prior to the computer era, used these um, analog materials like wax and silicone imprints and uh, articulating paper markings to try to determine what was going on with the occlusion. But all the mediums really do is detect size of contact, not the type of contact quality, not the timing of it, not the force. And research, again, bears this all out. There's, there was recently a published um, systematic review that looked at all the literature on valid studies that show whether articulating paper, for example, can measure force. And there are only 20 papers in the entire continuum of dental literature on articulating papers capabilities, and none of them show it can measure anything at all, occlusal. So as I said, dentistry has given it this credibility that it should be used to detect force and it can't do it at all. Alternatively, the T-scan does measure force, time, and pressure by um, capturing the electronic displacement of applied pressure to the teeth as it spreads out over the teeth. You know, when you bang your teeth, hands together, it's like banging teeth together. The force spreads out, you know, across your hand, depending on how you impact and what angle of attack you have. That's what the T-scan measures. So as the teeth approximate each other, grind over each other, clench together, gnash together, the T-scan can capture those interactions of the resultant force across a time continuum. And that allows one to make very intelligent decisions about what aspects of the occlusion there's too much force in, there's too little force in, which side hits too early, which side hits too late. You may remember in our seminar, our, our patient demonstration, the, the dentist that we measured, his right side always hit before his left side. Sh sh shout out to, to Ian, Ian Kerr, uh, yeah. a top guy, funny guy. Uh, so yeah, we, we, what we did with the, at, the, at the Congress is we used Ian as an example. We used the T-scan on him. And yeah, you're right. It was always the, the right side in terms of timing yeah. that was shooting up uh, to his maximum pressure. Now, just to continue this theme... The reason why I uh, I'm on board and the reason I purchased and the reason why I uh, I brought you on today is because uh, you know I think there's a huge role in terms of spreading the knowledge about the benefits of measuring the occlusion, which this podcast will uh, evolve. But a lot of people listening right now or, or watching will be thinking, well, I've been using artic articulate paper all these years, and I also um, I'm using sound sometimes like. You know, which is fine. Okay, you're getting some of that using your uh, fingers to check for uh, PDL movement. But the, what did it for me? What the benefit I find 
is that it's a, it's a tool that's going to make things more efficient, more accurate, uh, and especially in the era of implants, and we're trying to caref be careful to move forces uh, away from implants, uh, I see it as a huge tool that will ultimately save me time in terms of uh, adjustments. Like just today, I was uh, I did some resin buildups, upper 3 to 3, lower 3 to 3, and I was relying on carbon paper markings, and if I just had the, the text scan, because I'm, I'm, I've ordered it, I'm waiting for it now, it would just give me a quick reference to, to adjust it. However, some dentists are concerned about the tech scan that hey why are we why are we even adjusting these occlusions in the first place like why why are these timing issues even a problem because uh, what, what most dentists will argue is that the literature supports that occlusal adjustment doesn't help TMD now the literature is poor and I think you'll agree with that Robert the literature that's done that poo-poos occlusal calibration stuff and we'll come to that isn't great literature in, in the first place but a lot of dentists have this concern that the T-scan is, 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 this, is this tool that's and encourage dentists to start grinding away contacts, whereas actually, had they continued their life without that occlusal adjustment, they may have been just fine. So how can we speak to, to that uh, cohort of dentists? Well, those dentists that don't measure the occlusion use a lot of subjectivity to make occlusal assessments, like you mentioned, sound and feel. None of that quantifies the actual occlusion in any you know measurable way that allows you to make again intelligent decisions about what to treat and this is not necessarily related to solely making occlusal adjustments on natural teeth it's it's a you know you just said you did six composite buildups or three and three against each other delivering that six can become a real problem for an office if they choose the wrong contacts because they chose the paper box that they thought were the ones they should treat but actually they left a lot of bad contacts in place, or they removed good ones, thinking they were removing bad ones. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And so the, the value of measuring for any clinician is, is their choice to use the T-scan to treat occlusally, but certainly in the restorative realm, in the implant realm, in the prosthodontic realm, not guessing at paper marks which don't measure force is a huge advantage for any treating practitioner. And just what you mentioned that it would speed up your your end result. Yes, it would it would actually guide your end result. It would allow you to make again intelligent choices as to what to remove after you did your buildups. And that principle applies to whether you're delivering a denture, whether you're delivering a fancy implant prosthesis, whether you're adjusting a natural dentition because the patient has TMD symptoms, whether you have, you know, occlusal issues that keep showing up after you've done a quadrant of fillings and the patient keeps coming back saying it doesn't feel right. These are all things that plague a dental practice. You know, I've given seminars, courses, and live demonstrations all over the world, and I, and I always, 100% of the time, receive patients in these demonstrations that have had dentistry done that they aren't comfortable with and they're not able to get comfortable with sometimes months or years of follow-up 
of traditional occlusion attempts to manage their case. And what's fascinating is the patients are amazed that I can actually measure their bite and fix what's wrong in front of a group of people, not ever knowing them. I ha didn't have any predetermination of what, what their situation was. In other words, they, I didn't choose them. They were chosen for me. And I was able to many times in just that short appointment that was in a live demonstration, resolve their problem for them because I was able to measure. So that translates into if you have a T-scan at delivery, you measure the outcome, you improve the outcome with intelligence and knowledge as to what contacts to treat as opposed to subjectively trying to decide which ones to treat. And the patient saying, I think it's high over here, or I think it's high over there. All of that is eliminated by, by having the T-scan to give you the incorrect forces where they're located on the teeth, to show you where there's too much pressure in your new restoration. And then you adjust accordingly, and that speeds up the treatment for both you and the patient. And, you know, just to follow on that thought, not to, not to overplay this, but the idea of having complications after dentistry, that's something that came to see me in my office through my 37, 36 years of practice. All more than any other thing that sought me out were patients who were uncomfortable with the dentistry they received. And patients came from all over the world to have a T-scan evaluation. And again, many of them left in one or two visits with a markedly improved situation that really the only difference between me and the treating practitioner was I had the information about forced time and pressure that the that the dentist who made the teeth, the fillings, the crowns, whatever it was that had set this patient off, and it wasn't full mouth rehabilitation. It was quadrants of fillings, a few crowns together, uh, orthodontic end result, a tooth was extracted and their bite changed. These things were all manageable at the moment they occurred if you have knowledge of forced time and pressure. So um, the, the dentists who, who say, you know, well, the T-scan is encouraging us to adjust is there's so much adjusting going on in dentistry. Every dentist adjusts things every day. And imagine if you could control, you know, so many more of your outcomes that, you know, you didn't, you didn't have the guesswork of subjectivity that traditional occlusion brings to your day-to-day -day practice. It would save you so much time. Mm -hmm. But Robert, these patients that were finding their way to you on these courses, which were uh, you didn't pick them, they just came and they had a problem and you, you, were, you were solving it. Do you think there could be an element of the fact that the same dentist who treated that patient initially, who, who now had um, a bite that wasn't happy for whatever reason, that same dentist who is also treating many other patients, those other patients maybe had a wider uh, scope of uh, adaptation or a adaptive capacity. And then th th there are certain group of patients, everyone's adaptive capacity might be different. And some people's bites just may be more sensitive than others. And because of the um, because of that difference, this uh, cohort of patients treated by that same dentist didn't feel the comfort that the other patients usually do. I do you think there's any merit in that? Is any research behind that? Well, I can't speak to if there's research behind that, but what you're talking about is called, you know, is really the central nervous system's ability to modulate the occlusal uh, neurologic output that comes from the teeth. And um, the challenge for any dentist is we don't know the adaptive capacity of each person, even though they might sound nice in the chair before we start working with them. Ten visits later, after they're still complaining about their bite, we didn't know that that person was... Uh, let's say, uh, more sensitive than someone else. So 
the reality of using the T-scan, it allows you to get high precision outcomes with every patient. And therefore, you aren't, you know, you're really, in a way, controlling, or I shouldn't say controlling, but you're optimizing their adaptive response to the installed occlusion. And to, to the other patients that you're discussing, the ones that may not have felt their bite was off or their bite was problematic, their ability to describe what's going on occlusally, although accepting it, doesn't mean that the case is good. You know, I here's an example of that. I recently trained a dentist in um, a state near mine, um, you know, two hours away, and he had a patient come in who, um, who had a fancy um, upper implant case done, uh, like a fixed hybrid against um, uh, natural teeth on the bottom. And he said, yeah, it feels really great. And, you know, I'm having no trouble with it. We put him on the T-scan. He was 70% right, 30% left with all the force concentrated on two or three implants. So he wasn't able to describe the real problem. And so even though his adaptive capacity might've been high, his ability to discern quality occlusal force distribution was very poor. And then the interesting thing is when we rearranged it to be much more balanced and much less concentrated in one corner of the prosthesis, which if you put that out now five years, seven years, where that corner is receiving 70% of the bite, it's going to break things, it's going to loosen implants, it's going to cause screws to come undone. You know, it's hard to say what would happen, but there's no question with that overload that it was going to have some sequelae. So after we finished rearranging, he goes, you know, that really is a lot better. I didn't realize how much pressure I was putting in the front corner of my mouth until after I had this pressure relieved, right? So mm-hmm. the, the response of the patient is obviously a, cre- a, a critical factor in, in, let's say, how fast they adapt to what we do. But it doesn't mean that the person who doesn't feel their bite or is aware of their bite isn't suffering occlusal overload in certain parts of their mouth or isn't having gum recession on a few teeth or isn't having wear on a few teeth because they've still tolerated their bite. It doesn't mean that they're not having a occlusal problem. I, I, I just want to add to that, Robert, and I, and I agree, and I agree that uh, just because the pa- just because the patient says it feels fine doesn't mean it's fine because so many times in my career, um, I've just done my restoration, I've taken the rubber dam off. I get them to bite together and say, and I just stupidly ask prematurely, how does that feel? And they say it feels great. But when you had a look, here's a huge discrepancy, you know, which I would never accept, you know, and I would never want to leave that patient with that huge. I'm talking like, you know, a whole millimeter on the other side. And then only after I adjusted, oh, yeah, it still feels great. But now at least I've got everything in contact and conform to the previous. So uh, patient subjectivity is something that we shouldn't rely wholly on, which is which which I agree with. Now, uh, an interesting thing um, that you mentioned, this is deviating a little bit, but I thought it would make for an interesting uh, discussion point uh, just to learn a little bit about. about this from you because this was really fascinating. You mentioned about um, if by equilibrating someone's uh, MIP so that the, you got a better balance. You and I might be using the wrong terms here, Robert. So please correct me. You improve the patient's uh, gait, and I think you might use that word or another word. But just to uh, tell you, I actually had I was I was posting about the tech scan on Instagram, and someone uh, reached out to me on Instagram uh, who was a patient who who actually received uh, T scan treatment, uh, and this is what he had to say. This is from Peter's Health Journal. And he said, um, I had my bite adjusted through T-scan. The effects were stunning. After alterations, not visible to the eye, such weird sensations went through my body from head to toe. And it says occlusion. And this guy, he's not a dentist. He said occlusion has a big influence on the whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, I, and this was after you'd mentioned about some similar things uh, uh, to, that you're on the Congress. Now, dentists naturally 
we, as, as a collective group, dentists, we think that this is a lot of hocus pocus. But what patients tell us, what, it's important what they tell us. The feedback they give us is important. How could you, how many times have patients described such an effect to you? And what do you think is behind that? Well, the first part, many patients have described peripheral improvements that they did not expect to receive uh, from having their bite refined with the T-scan in specific ways. And it isn't only balancing the bite, it's treating the excursions and treating the excursive function. That's actually one of the most critical components to it, um, to obtaining high quality outcomes. But the, the response that you're talking about, uh, peripheral postural response, like this person had, is due to the fact that the posterior pulpal fibers and the posterior PDL uh, uh, periodontal ligament mechanoreceptors, they input noxious stimuli into the brain directly because fibers from them go directly into the center of the brain, into the reticular formation, which is a huge brain center, sort of an amorphous middle of your cerebellum that controls breathing, respiration, digestion, posture and balance, and sexual function. And the teeth are hooked up to uh, digestion through the swallowing mechanism and chewing and masticating. So the center of the brain receives this output from the teeth. Every time teeth are rubbed together, compressed, flexed, chewed upon, ground over, clenched against, um, every time. It's not something the human can control. And the, the person who's susceptible to it has poor modulation of it in the central nervous system, which may be termed as per our last discussion as adaptation. But the nature of it is it's an ongoing electrical uh, toxic influx that teeth put out that unless the human um, has a, a resistance to it, it takes its toll in many different ways. And, and again, this is because of the neurology, which is not well taught and not well understood by uh, dentistry. Uh, occlusion is taught biomechanically you know, it's not taught neurologically. And yet it's an extremely, the occlusion is an amazing neurologic trigger. It's the biggest trigger point in the head and neck that's not ever been considered a trigger point. And, uh, but it mm -hmm. constantly is throwing out um, electrical stimuli in order to modulate swallowing and digestion and chewing at the brain level. And so um, why someone would have, let's say, improved posture from having their bite adjusted with the T-scan, which is actually a very nice study that just came out on 90 patients who had dramatically improved posture after having their bite adjusted with the T-scan, is because of this pathway into the center of the brain that the posterior pulps and PDL fibers make. And it's not a, a synaptic entrance. It's a direct, no switch right into the center of the brain. And so then the electrical stimulus that comes from the teeth, if it's a lot, which is, again, what is the individual human's modulation of it, if it's a lot of electrical activity, which we can measure some of that with the EMG um, in surface muscles, but the same negative energy goes out to the center of the brain, it will influence other structures. And so people have told me that they had brain fog go away after they had their bite adjusted. They always felt like weird and unclear and, and they couldn't find anything wrong with them. And they had two, you know, uh, MRIs of their brain and scans done of their head. And, and when their bite was adjusted, they, their brain fog lifted, right? Well, that's a similar component as to someone saying that my shoulders aligned after I had my bite adjusted or I, or I stopped having throat tension. Like, very interesting thing that happens to singers is singers can sing better after they have their bite adjusted. I've treated opera singers who would say, I can't 
get the range I used to get and, and, and my muscles tighten up and, you know, and uh, it just feels like I can't be free with my singing. And then we, we free them of their noxious stimulus that comes from their pulps and their PDLs of the posterior teeth. And they can sing better, longer, wider, taller, deeper, higher with less muscle strain. That's very noticeable. And it, 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 it's in, it's in a short period of time. It doesn't take months to kick in. It, it happens within a, within a few short weeks of, of improving this noxious output that the teeth make. I mean, Robert, my, my Brit, and I shared this with you when we met, my British dental brain is very much like, what is this hocus pocus, right? And, and, and that might be um, a uh, response that you may get. So, but I know that you said that you've got, you know, there's T-scan data that shows this. Yeah. But uh, when you look at the, um, um, uh, the, the mainstream evidence and the works of Manfredini et al, who really, uh, there's a whole opposite camp. Whereas, you know, there's a camp where it says, you know, there's, there's, a, there's so uh, the high importance in terms of the, the the, the uh, correct bite, whereas there's other camps that, that, are, that, that suggest that, for example, TMD has nothing to do with occlusion. These are bold things. Even the, the systematic reviews, which again, the studies aren't that great, um, uh, are, are against it. So therefore, as, as a defensive dentist practicing in the UK, um, I would find it a very bold claim to make to a patient that we can improve X, Y, and Z by, by adjusting your bite. But I know that you have, have got, got um, lots of patients that you told me that you've been able to, for example, um, treat their TMD through occlusal adjustment, which as a, as a profession as a whole in the UK, especially, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, that is frowned upon treatment, especially first line, okay? So first line would be various other things, physiotherapy, splints, whatever. Uh, and then potentially there could be some occlusal adjustment that is, but, but a dentist in the UK would have to think twice before doing that. So tell us about your experiences in treating patients with TMD through occlusal calibration uh, that's been guided by the T-scan. And why do you think occlusal camps, different occlusal camps or different dent schools aren't taking this technology and using it in the way that you're, um, in the way that you've seen benefit many patients? Well, the, it's a two-part question. So the first part, um, with respect to treating TMD, equilibration is not actually what we do. That's the first thing. And most... I apologize. No, sir. no, but it's important because most of the studies that looked at TMD um, response to occlusal adjustment actually had a form of occlusal equilibration done. And that's actually not what the T-scan guided treatment is all about. So equilibration is making CRCO and CO equal. And if you do that, you will lessen the CRCO discrepancy, but you won't treat any symptoms with any predictability because positional improvements aren't a solution to TMD. They're a, they're a, that's why the schools have a hard time, not the dental schools, but the schools of philosophical thought. They believe that they find this ideal position, the symptoms will go away. And that's true with the appliance between the teeth. But once the teeth come back together again, no matter what position you're in, the neurology goes back to work. And often people that are reoccluded, let's say, after months in splints, their symptoms come right back when their ortho puts their teeth together or their prosthodontics puts their teeth together in this new so-called position. So it's actually the teeth themselves that create the symptoms through neurologic output into the brain, as I described before. And this is a component of occlusal adjustment that hasn't been addressed by the outdated studies that used occlusal equilibration. And they also, those studies, and this is important too, also those studies only treated CRCO discrepancy and balancing inclines, but not treat working side group function contacts in those studies that people like, uh, let's say the, the biopsychosocial camp would say that there's no relationship between occlusion and TMD. 
They actually didn't mm-hmm. treat. They actually didn't treat the most important component. We've discovered through many papers now, research papers that. Uh, we using EMG that working side group function contacts cause most of the problems that dentists face when it comes to symptoms. And so those studies that a lot of people use as evidence, evidence that bite adjustment or the bite has nothing to do with TMD actually didn't treat the correct thing. And so, of course, they got no resolution. Now, we've been treating working mm-hmm. side group function in a procedure called disclusion time reduction, which is an excursively based occlusal adjustment that's done in MIP maximum intercuspation, it's not done in CR, there's no positioning the patient in CR, and there's no appliance phase needed before you do it in correct patients, which are patients that have um, high muscle firing, reasonably good occlusal relationships, both skeletally and dentally, and have no significant joint breakdown. They can pop and click, and they can have mild displacements, but they can't have bone-to-bone contact, and they can't be have condylar damage, and they can't have fully displaced discs. And so that actually makes up a wide range of TMJ patients who have mostly muscular problems. That's actually 80% of the TMJ population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've proved over and over and over again in studies, not again, my word, in research uh, environments, treating many different groups of patients at different places in the world with different practitioners using the T-scan in these specific ways to treat the disclusion time. And the result, the results are comparable study to study that the occlusion is the number one cause of TMD, especially muscular TMD. Wow. And it's because of this neurology. So the last thing I want to say is you quoted some, you didn't quote them, but you pointed to some systematic reviews. All the systematic reviews uh, about- uh, Luther 2010 uh, is, is a classic one, the orthodontic community. You won't find any T-scan studies in any mm. of the systematic reviews. They've been purposefully left out. And I've been dealing with that since 1984. There have been many years that important T-scan studies were done about the disclusion time reduction, about treating TMD symptoms, controlled occlusal adjustment studies, treating timing, force, and pressure. And the um, none of them have made it into these systematic reviews until recently. Until recently, there's a 2021 systematic review that looked at um, all the different occlusal indicators and how the, how useful they are for measuring occlusion and for treating patients. And of course, that one actually included about 90 T-scan papers. And that's the first. Okay, brilliant. Yes, that's the first systematic. I will check that one out. I mean, and I'll share that with the community, you know, because because one of the things is uh, about this podcast is just just to share uh, as much knowledge as we can, uh, in the, especially in the realm of occlusion. So it, it's, it's great to share these uh, concepts. Now, uh, one um, objection people might have is, um, but the sensor is 100 microns thick. Now, what Rain told me when she came over to practice that is 100 meters, but when a patient bites together, it becomes 60 microns. Some dentists might suggest that, okay, because there's a 60 microns between the teeth, how is it really recording what you think we're recording uh, is one objection that a dentist might have. But in the, in the equally, in, in, the, in the carbon paper world, we know that we get false marks all the time. You get false positive marks all the time. So that's one thing for that. But what would you have to say to a dentist who may be uh, concerned about trying the, the tech scan on their patients because they are worried about the, the thickness of the, of the actual um, uh, T-scan itself? Well, the thickness has been an issue for a long time with the with the naysayers of the T-scan because instead of mm. recognizing that the, that the sensor is a sophisticated printed electronic circuit that measures incredibly detailed occlusal dynamics that can't be measured in any other way, 
the fact that it's 100 microns thick and gets reduced to 67 microns is actually inconsequential because of what it does, right? It measures things you can't see in any other way. Force spread over teeth. Like I said, if I go like this, the force spreads out over my hand. I can't measure it by looking, right? But if I put a T-scan sensor in there, I would be able to see the force spread, where it went, which parts of my hand, which parts got overloaded, which parts didn't get any force, right? So the, the sophisticated printed electronic circuit is a, is a incredible device. It's actually used all over the world in many applications that people don't question its thickness because it works in such unique ways and gives such unique information. And um, it's used in, in hundreds of industries. It's just that dentistry has thought that it should be thinner. But unfortunately, the gold standard of measuring time and force is the T-scan sensor, right? Marking teeth might be carbon paper at 30 microns or 20 microns, but marking paper doesn't give force, time, and pressure information, and it doesn't allow the dentist to know any of the information that the T-scan sensor knows. So the sensor itself has to work well under um, compressive load, repetitive compressive load, mm -hmm. and clenching and grinding actions, and not get destroyed. And actually, one study that was done on all the different occlusal indicators showed that the T-scan was the only occlusal indicator that could reproduce the test environment 18 out of 19 times. All other occlusal indicators, carbon paper, wax, silk ribbon, silicone, they all got destroyed after they got through four, five, six, seven uses. And of course, that's not the case with the T-scan sensor. So the thickness is a positive attribute to being, to being able to gather this very unique and uh, highly precise information that can't be gathered in any other way. Um, and I think that's really just uh, sort of like an argument that's gone by the wayside. You know, if you want the information that the T-scan gives you, the sensor thickness is not really a concern, right? And having said mm -hmm. that, it's well within the range of many occlusal indicators that dentists use routinely. For example, there's carbon paper that's 200 microns thick that no one complains about using, right? No, no one ever says it's too thick to use. Well, it's the same. None right? of my listeners use that one. None of my listeners use that one. But yeah, please don't use 200 microns. Well, the point being that wax wafers are much thicker than the T-scans, yeah. right? right? Yeah. And um, certain carbon papers are thinner. But the thinness doesn't mean that the information that the T-scan offers a clinician is negated because the sensor has a certain thickness to work well under many compressive load situations and report highly sophisticated data, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like you need that thickness so it doesn't get destroyed while it's being chewed on, right? And so it mm -hmm. works extremely well. One of the most interesting things about that argument is there are no papers written about the T-scan where the sensor perforation is a problem. Right. In other words, people don't write things that say, yeah, the sensor breaks, you know, you can only use it three times, you know, it breaks very often. And when you when that happens, you get <laughs> you get corrupted data. You don't you don't get a hole in that doesn't mark ink. You get a corrupted electronic entity. So the thickness is really an important attribute to be able to withstand the stresses of occlusion. And as I said, it's well within mm -hmm. the range of many occlusal indicators that people don't question its thickness. I mean, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's the whole additional information that that thickness gives us in terms of timing and pressure, yeah. uh, which, which was, for me, the light bulb moment and why, um, why I'm excited to use this technology to, to help my patients. Uh, like, we debated about this already, Robert, and, you know, I'm not convinced yet. I'm not convinced yet. And look, look uh, I'm still a young dentist. I have so much to learn. Um, the, the thing with me is I'm, I'm open to 
I, I'm open to the fact that in five years' time, I might change my mind. And as long as that's uh, led by some degree of evidence or uh, good clinical sound, you know, sound experiences. So if, for example, if my patients after my T-scan adjustments in the future do come back and they stop bruxing, which is what something that we, we spoke about, you said that, okay, there is there is a belief that um, once we get the uh, everything adjusted 50-50 or, or nearabouts and we get reduce the uh, excursion disclusion time that patients may stop bruxing, I'd like to find that out for myself through sophisticated methods and whatnot uh, and I was speaking to Ian we want to you know, uh, hit up uh, East Grinstead Hostel we want to do some um, um, sleep studies is what we want to do with the EMG that's the, the, the that would be the pinnacle to, to prove something like that but you know I'm open to it uh, and, and I, want, I want to work with the technology to, to grow dentistry and to grow the, the, you know, the measuring of occlusion so I think that's that's important and I just think it's a, it's a fantastic tool the way you describe it uh, so it, th th there's definitely a place in it my only qualm, and I have to ask this because I know my listeners know my thoughts on this, is that we have these people who are 20-minute chewers a day, like people who just, uh, they don't spend much time in MIP. So I know you answered this very well when we were at the, at the Congress, but I think everyone else needs to hear it as well, is that if we have people who are just chewing their teeth 20, 20 minutes a day uh, and they're not that uh, parafunctional, for example, uh, th th this group of patients, then do we really need the, the to go to that level of pre uh, precision, especially in, in a completely asymptomatic patient who may have an anterior open bite and they've had it for many years and they have no issues and stuff and they've only 20 minute chewers and they're not having any signs of occlusal disease. Is it overkill to, to have this level of precision? Is it really necessary? Well, it's a very good question. It's certainly not overkill to be able to adequately diagnose anyone's occlusion to a high level of precision. It's more beneficial to both the patient and to the clinician. But what you're asking about is why is it that, you know, if the teeth are only used for 20 minutes, is this occlusion such an important issue? And it's because people swallow a thousand times a day. And in order to swallow, you have to put your teeth together. And swallowing is what actually creates the hyperfunction of the musculature because it has to go on. It's a central nervous system mediated response that you, we have no control over to lubricate your throat, to protect your airway from swallowing food, to um, ensure that you're able to eat and chew and digest and fuel your body. So swallowing makes up a huge amount of time that people put their teeth together un unknowingly. And um, just to point out about the 20 minute study, uh, most people don't know about that study. That study was done with a three-unit bridge, which is only three teeth in the mouth, right? That's not all 32 teeth being used, right? So that's a... Uh, I, I thought it was done by Complete Dentures, a, a graph 1969, I think, but I mean, yeah, yeah but it's, 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 it's a difficult study to get hold of, I'll tell you that. Right, and that's, and again, doing it with Complete Dentures, if it's a different study than the three-unit bridge study, which was an 18-minute study, uh, meaning that the bridge was function for 18 minutes, you're not able to, with a denture, even in any way, replica replicate the human function. So it's not even a comparable, um, uh, uh, it's, it's not even a comparable environment to be able to test how many times a day someone put their teeth together. But the, the overriding element to answer the question, as I did in the seminar that you were at with, with me, is that the swallowing mechanism puts teeth together thousands of times a day. And th those compressions and flexions of the pulp stimulate muscle activity that tire out the patient. And that's where TMJ comes from. It's when the swallow mechanism is actually backfiring. And then the person can't chew well because their muscles have been contracted too many times to swallow for years. 
and now their jaw doesn't chew well, or they get headaches because they've been contracted, their temples have been contracting to swallow thousands of times a day, and they build up lactic acid, and that's then the person goes and uses their teeth, and then they get a migraine, right? It's all tied into the central nervous system and the swallow mechanism that the person can't control. So these timing of teeth studies are just, they're not comparable to what really goes on in the human condition. And as a result, uh, it's not an environment that can really test out how someone might respond to their occlusion. So the second part of the question is, you know, do we need this kind of precision? The challenge for any dentist is that you don't know, we don't know how well the patient will adapt to what we give them. Mm -hmm. And so there's that mm -hmm. element. And then there's the breakage, fracture and dislodgement element. We make them something nice. And then six months later, there's a chunk of it missing that shouldn't be missing because it's brand new, but it's missing because the occlusal forces weren't managed. So everyone needs this kind of precision for their patients to get predictable outcomes. Measuring the bite with the T-scan and optimizing it with the T-scan data in closure and excursions. And that's important that people understand that it's not balancing the bite. Balancing the bite, people can live with a 5 to 10% imbalance in their bite uh, much more comfortably than they can with poor excursive function. Because balancing the bite is really not a, a, an, is ne really not a, a, a generator of high muscle firing. It's chewing, eating, and moving around that causes high muscle firing. And so excursive control, excursive treatment with the T-scan is very, very important, more so than balancing the bite in the natural tooth patient. But in the prosthetic patient, balancing the bite is very important to preserve the dental materials and to make sure that that one side isn't taking 70% like that patient I described, right? So that the implants don't mm -hmm. get overloaded. So the answer to your question is who needs the precision? Every dentist needs the precision. They're fighting against the occlusal forces in their practice every day, whether they believe they are or not. The occlusal forces are at work every day in your practice. You, you may not be treating them, but they're there breaking teeth on the patient. They're there causing gum recession. They're there causing headaches and jaw pain. They're there breaking your new ceramic inlay that was just put in, or they're not allowing the person to adapt to the new ceramic inlay that was put in. So the, 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 the nature of measuring only improves the outcomes for the dentist and the patient. And so there is no um, you know, answer that, yeah, it's okay for some. You don't really need it for everyone. You only need it for the top 10% who can't get used to what we make them. No, that's not true at all. Every dentist needs control over the occlusion. It'll save so much time if they measure that, that you know, the problems dentists face tied to occlusion are more than any other aspect of their practice. There's no question about that. Hi guys, it's Jans again, just interfering with this helpful little nugget, which for some of you will save you a lot of money. If you are in the market for a T-scan, then I've twisted the arm of Clark Dental to give you a discount. So if you use the protrusive, the famous protrusive code, you will get 200 pounds off a T-scan unit. You use your contact Clark Dental. This is an exclusive offer for the protruserati only, because you guys are ones that are, are geeky and, and love occlusion. That's why you listen to podcasts. So if you head to Clark clarkdentalsales.co.uk. That's Clark without an E. It's Clark Dental Sales. I'll put it in the description in the show notes so you can check it out. Uh, and you can get a £200 discount by using the code protrusive. So I hope that helps. I mean, it, it rings true whenever I've got a patient in temporaries, right? And I'm, I've inserted some uh, temporaries and I just like the idea of being guided by technology that measures the time, the pressure to be able to uh, uh, adjust that and to, to guide that adjustment so that I am, I'm being led by technology so that at the end of that procedure, I, can, I have a proof 
from that video, that TCM video, that, okay, things are balanced. And I, I'd feel better about that when someone's in temporaries and moving that on to definitives. I'd love to maybe sit with you again in five years, maybe over a beer and say, you know what, I've been using it and this, these are some other findings that I found. So I'm excited to try this technology. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I think there's no doubt about it. Precision, who, which one of our patients don't deserve our precision? I think they all do uh, and they deserve our, our, our best hands. And nowadays with everything going digital, um, there's a, and obviously been around for 37 years, Texco, it's not like it's new technology, but I think there's a, there's a huge, it's a time now definitely more than ever where we need to use all the tools we can to level up our game. And I think that's, that's what T-Scan offers in terms of the occlusion realms. So my last question is why is... Why are some of these, I mean, I've been on, you, you were there when I told you, I've been on so many occlusion courses, like so many, like I'm a massive junkie. Why didn't anyone else rave on about the importance uh, of getting it right and being able, just be, or just being able to measure using a tech scan? It was, it, was, it was seldom mentioned. Well, that's a good question that I'm not sure I have the correct answer for or a single answer, but um, I think that the, the answer that I tend to um, believe is at the core of it is that fortunately or unfortunately depending on your perspective the t-scan has disproved all the principles of the different philosophies um, over and over and over again in science validated science and so um, their lack of adoption by some of the the dentists throughout the world has been that it's challenged what they've been learning and teaching for some time now. An example would be, um, you know, that you need to be in the right position to control the uh, the patient's symptoms. And of course, we treat people in MIP. We don't have to move them. We don't need appliance therapy for many of them. We can treat them right in their MIP. That's a disproving a positional belief system, right? And um, then there are many of those. There are, th there are at least three major positional belief systems. And, you know, for many people, the positions don't solve their solution, don't solve their problem. Just fixing their MIP solves their problem. And again, this is something that's been studied. Another example of what the T-scan has disproved uh, many, many times over is the carbon paper marks. They don't measure anything. And choosing them, another thing that the T-scan that the has disproved is that dentists can't choose the right marks with any accuracy. Three separate studies on 600 to 700 dentists show that dentists will choose the wrong paper marks 85 to 95% of the time. And, and so there's a lot of things the T-scan has challenged and disruptive technologies are often um, you know, held back uh, from adoption because they make people uncomfortable to face the realities of what they've learned may not actually be correct. And again, mm -hmm. we have research, many, many, many studies to back up these um, philosophical, uh, uh, let's say, challenges that the T-scan uh, offers dentistry, and all of it is a betterment for the patient, right? It's not that, you know, if you can treat someone's, let's say, taking positions as a as an entity uh, that, you know, is typically how TMJ is treated in some new position with some appliance-based um, location. Well, for the patient, imagine if you can not make an appliance and you don't need to change their position and you treat their occlusion in precise, specific ways that you have to learn how to do to be a T-scan user, which I think I'll talk about in a second before we sign off. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms go away, most of them go away in seven to 90 days, which matches up to 30 or 40 studies, which show that same thing over and over and over again in different populations and different 
classes of individuals and different practitioners doing the same kind of treatment, um, um, sort of replicating each other's findings, and you're a patient who can get rid of their most of their symptoms in two to three months versus wearing an appliance for 18 months to two years, then maybe getting rid of their symptoms, maybe not getting rid of their symptoms, and then having to go through orthodontics to put their teeth together in the new position, and the, or prosthodontics to put their teeth together in the new position, which is very costly and time-consuming, when mm -hmm, the mm -hmm, T-scan mm -hmm. could treat that same patient possibly, or a, a dentist using the T-scan in specific ways could possibly treat that patient in their MIP in 30 to 90 days, right? The value to the public is huge, and, and, and the value to the dentist is predictable outcomes that have been validated in many research studies. So um, the last thing I wanted to say was, you know, you said, what if, um, yes, please. what if I'm in five years, we're having a beer and we were telling me, you know, you have had great experiences and you found some new things. Well, I would certainly encourage that because, um, for example, you mentioned doing sleep studies. I've hoped to do a sleep study because we have many studies which show that people stop grinding their teeth. So a sleep study would be a perfect, you know, extension of that. But the secret to being able to be effective with the T-scan is not owning one. It's being trained to use it well. And so one of the challenges the T-scan has had is people, you know, take it out of the box and they try to use it. And even though they might get some, some introductory training, there are actually many skills one has to develop to be an effective T-scan user. And they all start out with recording in specific ways and setting up recording parameters to capture useful data. And that then translates into data analysis that allows one to intelligently assess the occlusion and the excursive function and the balance and the timing and, and the, the things that matter to the patient's neurophysiology. And the third level of training is to actually take that information to the patient's mouth and make intelligent uh, adjustments that control many of these problems that traditional occlusion has no answers for. So without the training, just owning one won't do it. So if you train mm -hmm. intensely, meaning you or a, a dentist who chooses to become involved with the T-scan, they have to train intensely to get good at it. It doesn't, it doesn't work by itself. The user makes it work well. And that's skill development that we teach you that you have to then practice and evolve. And once you do that and it becomes second nature, your patients will greatly thank you because you'll speed up many procedures, you'll control end results, you'll have longer lasting dental restorations, you'll, you'll be able to predictably treat patient after patient. And it isn't to say that just because you have a T-scan, there aren't people that come back and need touch-up bite adjustment visits. But the fascinating thing about that is as a prosthodontist, I delivered many, many, many cases, I, all different types of things from implant cases to crown and bridge cases to denture cases, combinations of all of them, partial denture cases. The numbers of people that came back for problematic occlusal adjustments in my in my practice from work that I did with the T-scan was so little compared to those that sought me out from all over the world who had routine dentistry done that they couldn't live with. Sometimes for years, um, I got an email from one woman just to show you how impactful this problem is. A woman said, I, I, I had my bite adjusted, you know, after some fillings and I got TMJ. This is to paraphrase. And, and I, was, I was 25 at the time. Since that time, many procedures have been done trying to help me, and I'm not sure if the T-scan can help me, but I'm reaching out to you to find out. I'm now 67 years old. The woman went for wow. 40 years 
with a post-operative dental scenario that was a routine procedure that translated into over 40 years of jaw problems, right? So any dentist can have a problem like that arise. And so the nature of the T-scan, it allows you to, once you learn how to use it well, to predictably obtain outcomes case after case. And that, of course, is a benefit to your patients, and it's certainly a benefit to the dental practice. Well, uh, Robert, I appreciate you giving your time to share about your, all your experience that you've had and the, and the good work you do in, in the teaching side of it. Uh, and I'm excited to use this technology to benefit my patients. Ultimately, everything I do is about my patients. Uh, and also, you know, because I'm a, I'm a big geek and I like my toys. So having an inclusion toy was like uh, really important to me. So <laughs> I, I'm really excited to use it. Um, if you don't mind, of course, I'll, I'll email you, get your advice. And uh, I'd love to share some cases with you to, to, to so I can get some mentorship and grow because I appreciate the fact that, you know, I've got Riaz in the UK who's, who's obviously learning it as well and using it. I've got uh, other great clinicians, but, um, you know, to, to be able to you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, to be able to accelerate how fast I can learn will be so important rather than just uh, guessing. So uh, I appreciate you so much for, for sharing what you have with the, with the listeners today. Uh, and uh, let's see where this journey takes me. And I think it's been, it's very, uh, I'm sure it's been very fascinating to a lot of people to, to hear about some of the, the, the benefits that you talked about. A lot of people will be like, well, this is all... Uh, hocus pocus, whatever, and, and, and it's, a, it's a, you know we, there are some dentists who will, who will think that. But my philosophy is you know listen to everyone, give give give, give your ears to everyone, all the different camps, uh, and then be a, st a student forever and be willing to appreciate others' perspectives. So thanks for sharing your perspective today uh, and giving up your time. Well, thank you very much for having me, and um, I just want to st state that the opinions that I expressed are mine and not those of TechScan, the corporation. And um, uh, you're, you're going to have great help in the UK from people like Riaz and Clark Dental and Ash Palmer. They're, you know, really taken to the T-scan. But um, I think the fact that uh, you mentioned that you're open to many camps, you're open to many, you want to blend it all together. Just for everyone who's listening to understand, the T-scan crosses all camps. You can use the T-scan no matter what your philosophy is. If you if you want to do neuromuscular dentistry and and open the mandible and advance the mandible and crown all the teeth and you know put it all together, <laughs> you can use the T-scan on the orthotic phase. You can use the T-scan on the crown and bridge phase. You can use the T-scan on the on the temporary phase. The, the T-scan is is universal in that way. It's not it's not philosophical. And also, you can use the T-scan on the splints, and as well, I'll be well, next year. I'll be getting the the EMG data for my splints as well to use it alongside the T-scan. So I'm quite excited to do that as well. So yeah, it can be used as a tool for for those uh, phases as well. Yes, well, a, a splint is a really good example of something that you know you can make a splint where the balance on the splint and the occlusal contact pattern is again 70% right, 30% left. That 70% side is not going to be tolerated well by the TM joint of that side. And so the effectiveness of the splint is then compromised. But with the articulating paper marks or the silicone imprints or whatever people are using to assess the splint quality, occlusal quality, there's no assessing. It's just ink spots. It's just holes in wax. It's not quantifiable information. So the T-Scan will help you in anything that you make uh, if you learn how to use it well. And that's really the, the important thing. Your, your training will make all the difference to you, Jazz. And so I look forward to helping you. And you know, I'm certainly a resource for any T-Scan user. You can email me, you can send me cases, and I 
Uh, uh, please do sh- uh, share your, your your website so I can put it on the show notes so that those who want to learn more, especially, you know, I do have to, a lot of listeners in the US as well who maybe just want to, um, you know, for you to come back to the office as, as you as you suggested at the, at the Congress uh, or in, in you know, around the world who want to, your help and guidance as someone who's extremely experienced, like, you know, the, you know, like, I wouldn't say founding member, but you know what I mean? You were there with the chap who, who made it and you've been using it the longest more than anyone, I guess. So to, to have your expertise, I'd, I'd love to share your website and uh, email uh, so people can, uh, can, can grow and learn from you. Well, I can certainly give you that information. And, um, you know, if you want any research papers that we've done, I can certainly provide those to you as well. So, uh, which you can share with the podcast if you have requests for certain things. Oh, I'd, I'd, we love papers. Honestly, my, my, my group of listeners, we, 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 all we do is before we sleep, we read papers. Well, <laughs> no, um, uh, if you can send anything over, I think it would be a great help to a, a lot of skeptics. I mean, uh, it's good to be a skeptic. It's good to uh, reason. It's good to go by evidence. So, it's, it's, you know, it, as soon as someone mentions new technology, there are people who uh, willy-nilly will, will go for it. So, but it's always good. Like, I, I questioned you a lot, obviously. It's good to question things, but it's also good to to, to do your due diligence and, and read the papers and read the studies and not turn a blind eye to what's out there. So, yeah, anything you can send, I'll be able to share with everyone. And, uh, again, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge with us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope you enjoyed interviewing me. I certainly did. Thank you so much. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Uh, if you want to check out the evidence base, once again, it's protrusive.co.uk forward slash evidence to download all the papers uh, that Rob Kirsten has kindly shared with us all so you can get an idea of the evidence base. I'm really enjoying my experience with T-Scan so far. I think for multiple units, and I've got patient intemporaries, it gives me the confidence that things are balanced. I can even check something called the disclusion time. So when the patient is an MIP and they're excursing left and right, Yes, we can talk about canine guidance and group function, etc. But one really important thing is that it should they should not be in that excursive motion for too long of a duration. You want it to be quick and smooth. Uh, and using the objective data of the T-scan allows me to do that. Now, I promised you in the intro that I'll talk to you in this outro about how I struck a business deal with my principals. So I think it was fair of me to, to say to my principals that, okay, I appreciate that. I don't want you to get this for me because it's a big investment if you get it. And then if I'm, only, if I'm the only one using it, is that really going to help you guys? So uh, I said, okay, let me buy it, but then let me also get a bigger slice of the pie when I use it. So the way it works is that I knew that some dentist like Ash Palmer, I heard, would charge a subsidy. So here's your plan. It's uh, you know X thousands of pounds of dollars and you're going to do veneers and crowns and whatever. So I'm using it more and more for my bigger cases and also for evaluation. So I have two set fee prices. So if, if I know that for a case, I want to do a T-scan bite analysis, I will charge X amount, okay? So uh, 150 pounds, okay? So I will charge X amount for a bite analysis. So if I'm just gonna use the sensor and I'm gonna use it on that patient and I'm gonna get some data gathering, then patients are happy, you know, as part of the, you know, when they pay for a wax up, when they play for planning stages, patients understand that, okay, before we proceed any further, I need to do these tests. Uh, and once they see the technology, they're like, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, it's a great visual thing to show patients and patients actually, you know, really uh, understand that the bite should be balanced. You know, patients often get that in a bite, there should be some degree of balance. Now, obviously, the background that I come from is occlusion versus occluding, very much inspired by Barry Glassman. And we can definitely talk about that in the occlusal adjustment that I'll be doing following this. But essentially, I have a price for bite analysis, but then the bite, the, the price I have for a bite, a T-scan-led bite adjustment. So basically, if I'm doing a bigger case, let's say I'm doing, like recently I had a, a four crowns anteriorly and a chrome denture, uh, and therefore, at the end of that plan, 
I'm going to put in a, a T-scan sort of bite adjustment and I will charge 2x or 300 pounds as an extra. But th that um, anything I charge based on the T-scan, it would come to me as the associate 100% basically. So uh, I still respect the, the time, the surgery time, and I still bill according to the surgery time. But as an addition, I would charge this sort of uh, a subsidy for the T-scan and that comes to me. And therefore, it's like a return on investment for this investment of a T-scan. Uh, and it also doesn't take anything away from the clinic. And if anything, it adds like a USP, it adds something unique to the clinic. And I do see myself getting more referrals in the future for this kind of stuff. So that's how I do it. That's how I agree. So uh, kudos to my principals for agreeing to that. Thank you so much, John and Chris. I appreciate that. Uh, and I think it's a win-win it's a for us both. I get to get a return on investment for the investment I made is 100%, but um, we also get more patients, hopefully, uh, and I get to do the kind of dentistry that I love, okay? I think all principals want a happy associate, and I'm very happy with my T-scan uh, mounted on the wall, so I think this is a win-win. Hope you gained value from that, and I'll catch you in the clusal adjustment and so many awesome episodes yet to come with great guests, so I look forward to sharing that with you all. I'll catch you in the next episode, same time, same place.